Newsweek presents The Debate with Andrew Tolman. Everything 100% of the time, 24 hours a day is a negotiation. Ellis Hennigan. None of us have fallen for the notion that this is conservative. Amani wells on Yoha. I'm completely fed up with whether it's politicized or not. And Jeff Charles. That distracts us from actually rolling up our sleeves. The Debate starts now. So John Fetterman is sticking with the hoodie. You know, Senator Fetterman from uh, Pennsylvania, as you know, uh, got elected in gym shorts, sneakers, and a and a hoodie. And uh, damned if he's not serving in the Senate that way. It has, uh, as you as you may have heard, ruffled a few feathers in the world's greatest deliberative body, where you know people normally wear a suit at least when they're on the senate floor i i guess it's not a written rule anywhere there's no no law that says you have to but centuries of senate tradition uh, suggests that senators uh you know dress with a certain appropriateness uh, you know it's it's gotten the reactions that you'd expect i mean some people are offended they say standards are falling others are saying hey come on it's the 21st century that, that, that's how people dress today but, but but I have been fascinated by this sir, because it has really spawned a whole bunch of actual thoughtful issues inside a, a political contretemps. And I always uh, gravitate to those things uh, when they happen. A quick rundown. And then, I, boy, I'd love to hear what you guys think about this thing. Um, it raises to me a whole bunch of questions about, uh, you know, what does it mean to dress up today? Does it has the have the rules changed on how it is we present ourselves to the world? What did COVID do? Uh, how do you slobs dress? I want to hear some reports on that as well. But uh, but, but the <laughs> New York Post people, I mean, you know, that could be anything, right? Uh, I, in fact, uh, I, I'm a little concerned about uh, <laughs> about some of my co-hosts here. Um, but I'm, I'm concerned that you use the word contretemps. I know, and <laughs> correctly pronounced in all. Look at us bilingual. I, and I am from Louisiana, so. But uh, I, the the New York Post sent out a uh, reporter dressed exactly in the Fetterman duds to fancy restaurants in New York where he was immediately turned away at Daniel, where the seven course tasting menu goes for two seventy five. They said, no, what? No athletic attire allowed here. Got about the same uh, bum brush treatment at LeBron <laughs> and uh, Jean-Georges. But uh, so what do you guys make of this? Are you pulling for the slobby senator or are you are you uh, are you feeling like, uh, you know, everybody just needs to to chill out as a fashionista? And uh, somebody who reads a lot the of the nicest looking of all of us easily. Go Thank ahead. You. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, to me, I have mixed thoughts, but my first thought is just coming from I'm going to take politics out of it and just think aesthetics only. Okay. It's, it just don't look good, you know, and and that's really my honest opinion. Like, I get it. That's how you want to run your errands. Do you, boo? You know, we all have our errand outfits and all of that. But not even to be classist or anything. It's just, it's just not giving professional attire. I don't know. I, I personally wouldn't wear it on the Senate floor. I don't see why he's so hell bent on continuing to dress like that. Like, is he gaining something from it? Is he getting attention from it? Is he just trying to prove that he's down to earth and one of us? I don't know. I feel like it's more of a spectacle than anything. Like, I don't believe that that's genuinely just how he wants to dress just because. Um, and, you know, it's just not cute. You can slay a little better. There's there's um lounge attire that lounge attire that's more cute than that. That's just my opinion. See, so he I, could be a little more chic in his awfulness than chic with the slay. You know, all right. 
What, what do you think about like if uh, Lauren Bobert and AOC showed up in yoga pants? You know, exactly. I mean, what, <laughs> exactly. what if they were like really, really high end yoga pants? You know, even um, if it was Lululemon, it just doesn't give senator, <laughs> y'all. I'm sorry. You know, I was, I was in LA a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, I learned a term I did not know: athleisure wear. Athleisure. You know that oh, word? God. Everybody in Los Angeles, male and female, spends all day long in an athleisure wear. New York, we don't we don't really do that. So much, but I mean, clearly the standards are changing. But 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 what are the rules today? I, I really don't know. Well, as of now, there there are no rules. And you know what? I love this story, not because I care what they wear in the Senate, but because it gave me an opportunity to make fun of our politicians. It was great. <laughs> it, now, I'm going to do a little bit of a shameless plug here. But if you go on Twitter and go to hashtag Senate Dress Code. Then you'll see what I did. I satirized the whole thing. I did AI images of Cory Booker wearing pink booty shorts. I did Rand Paul showing up to Capitol in in a bathrobe, a red bathrobe, and people loved it. It went viral on social media. I did Mike Lee wearing colonial wear. I had I, I made fun of a lot of these senators pretending like they were showing up to the Capitol wearing this crazy stuff because of the dress code. But the reason why I did it is just to point out the absurdity of this whole thing. Yes, I mean, do people still value decorum and professionalism? Yeah, I think that there's pushback because of that. But at the same time, there are far more important issues going on. Sure. And it does speak to an underlying reality. Our Senate can get together to figure out how to remove the dress code. And now Joe Manchin, there's a bipartisan group of senators that want to reinstate it. So they're probably going to, so they can get together to fix that stuff. But when it comes to people, the, the, the problems that they're facing, they're coming up with bupkis. So this kind of just further highlights how ineffective and inefficient our government it is. Yeah. So every culture, every culture has got dress standards, right? And, you know, some other cultures, dress standards may seem absurd to us. The white wigs of your or current Britain, uh, they, you know, the, they, we don't live up to their standards, but we do have these tiers of formality for when something is significant, important, reverential. Uh, if you're, I don't know, pastor, we're wearing flip flops and a T-shirt on Sunday morning. In some circles, that would be perfectly acceptable. You know, you could probably hear the rolling sound of surf outside in those cases. Uh, but in other cases, completely unacceptable. And each kind of whether it's a mini culture or a macro culture kind of sets these standards for itself. The Senate has this long standing tradition, and it is the place where the most revered business of politics gets done. As a guy who hates suits, who shows up every day in shorts and flips. And when I'm dressed up, I'm wearing a collared polo. OK, that's like super high end for me. And it's you should want Senate. Florida. Yeah, <laughs> um, I wouldn't take a job. I, I would be a, I would be averse to taking a job where I had to wear a suit every day because I don't enjoy it whatsoever. But I still expect my senators to wear a suit. I still expect the presidents on the debate stage to wear a suit. I still expect my House uh, member to wear a suit when they're on the floor. If they're out doing a town hall somewhere, fine. Dress however you want. But these codes exist as a way of signifying that there's something important going on here. And hoodies are not the signifier of important stuff. But now, is it is it not true that those standards have been collapsing everywhere? I mean, if you go to a Broadway play in New York, I mean, there's people in flip flops and uh, and uh, Hawaiian shirts. And uh, you got to almost any restaurant. Now, now maybe in La Bernadette, they won't let you show up in the hoodie. But I mean, listen, I know old people and I'm not talking about myself here, but like old people who remember <laughs> oh, people wore a suit to go on an airplane or they put on their gloves to go to a baseball game, for goodness sakes. That's who can dumb. do that? Yeah. with a 
global warming. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. But even if you, I mean, I like, I mean, that that's before my time when people used to dress up and to go on airplanes. But even if you look at the evolution of corporate America, I mean, people used to wear nice suits and, and ties and things like that. And then you might have casual Friday that came along. And now right. every day is casual. Even the company that I worked for went from having people dress up. And then now people can wear shorts and, and shirts, especially if it's not customer facing. There is an evolution in the entire culture. So I do think that this whole Senate thing is probably a a reflection of that, whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. And here's my opinion. There's casual. And then there is I'm literally threw something on with my eyes closed. I just simply put on garments so I'm not naked. There's a difference between that. So I understand like the culture shifting us dressing a little bit more casually. We're not in a three piece suit just to go sit at your office chair. That's all well and fine. But at the same time, I'm cool with the collared shirt. I'm cool with the collared shirt. And I also agree with you, too, Jeff, like. There are bigger fish to fry. (laughs) There are much bigger fish (laughs) in the Senate that they could be frying right now. And they're choosing this because it's attention grabby. It's controversial, I guess, enough to get people's attention for them to seem and pretend like they're getting something done. So I see that side of the issue, too. It's kind of like it's it's a bit of a conundrum. It's like I see y'all. It's important. But is it really that that important? No. But while we're on the topic Let's say that you do look a little bit of a mess and you could try a little bit better. Just one more time on try for finale. Go ahead, ahead, Mr. Hypocrite sitting there in your cat. No, that's that's exactly right. But I mean, look, uh, last night or the night before I went to the chamber gala awards thing and I was a presenter of an award and I wore a suit quite against every desire of my heart. I wore a suit because that's what the event required. That was, you know, the appropriate attire. Look, um, we have, for example, you know, speech. Uh, and they might be soft requirements, but you're kind of expected not to swear when you're presenting on the floor of the Senate, not to engage in crass conversation. Why? Because there's a concept of respectability and restraint and decorum and civility and every little notch away from honoring those standards we take might well be a reflection of the culture, might well be a reflection of the social media environment that we live in. But it's not good It's not making us better, smarter, more efficient, productive, or honestly, more serious about the business of whatever it is we're doing. It's a relaxed, I don't give a bleep (laughs) about whatever it is we're doing. And, you know, we kind of put up with it. We say it's color when Trump does it or whatever. It's, you know, when somebody swears a little bit, it's kind of, okay, maybe. But I don't know, the pearl-clutching gasp at uh, outbursts during the State of the Union address I think are actually well-founded. There's a reason we have these rules of propriety and they make sense and they kind of, they might not seem like that important, but they do kind of hold a culture together. Yeah. And I agree with that. Like, imagine you're going on a date. It's Valentine's day. This is a true story, by the way. And you put on your beautiful dress, you know, you got your heels on and your boyfriend shows up in sweats and hoodies. It just reads, I don't care about being here. <laughs> and so I think that's a true story happened years ago. Um, I don't care about being here. And I guess that's really why people are kind of offended by his attire, because I hear what you're saying. It's like, act like you care. And to your point, Jeff, they not doing a good job. Otherwise, it's showing that they care. Honestly, putting on some cute clothes is the least you could do. If we're being honest, so, you know, they're not helping themselves out by trying to say, oh, you know, times have changed. We're we're advancing. You're not advancing any legislation in the Senate, though. 
Yeah, but so I mean, if, if, the job, you can dress I mean, down. If they're going to trash, if they're going to trash society and trash the yeah. country, and they might as well look good while they're doing it, right? I mean, exactly. Fetterman went into a closed door meeting with Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, wearing like a regular like it did have a collar on it, but he was wearing shorts. And I'm just cracking up. I'm like, our whole our, our government is a huge joke. joke. It is. I mean, we are not serious people. I think in Fetterman's case, right, it's kind of his uniform, right? In the same way that, uh, you know, Batman uh, dresses in a certain way. And, uh, you know, Curtis Sliwa, the Guardian Angels, wears a red beret. This Mm -hmm. is this guy's this is like his 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 uniform to me. To me, the deeper question is and and actually there is a deeper question here, I think, beyond uh, our irritation with the Senate, which is, is certainly well founded. But I mean, do we lose something? I mean, is the world changing because people dress in a more casual or sloppy fashion? I mean, does it I have a friend, by the way, who, who's a who's an executive in the in the PR business. If he's working at home, he does something that I never do. He says he doesn't feel right working at home unless he has a tie on. Now, every one of us is dressed like a bum, except Amani looks kind of sharp. But the three guys here <laughs> are dragging down the average. Let's let's be honest. so. So so I guess where I am is uh, I kind of love the days of dressing up and all. But you know what? I don't really feel like doing it very often. I feel like you got to feel like doing something. You know, that's going to be my overall takeaway with the John Fetterman situation, because, yes, it could be his uniform, but you ain't did much else, girl. You got us all real excited about you when you was running as a progressive. and You were supposed to come in here and do all this stuff. And all we know you for is this hoodie. This misgender John Fetterman. Do you just call him a girl? You know, that's just my You're getting canceled again, Amani. That, you know, every episode, <laughs> every episode that gets you canceled. So one of the things I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue for the other side just a little bit for a second. I, when I go church shopping and I go visit a lot of churches, or at least I used to go visit a lot of churches. And one of the things I would do on purpose is I would dress very casual because that's how I like to go to church. Okay. So I'm wearing flip-flops again, my standard outfit. Okay. A t-shirt, flip-flops and shorts. Now this is in Arizona and this is in Florida. Maybe it's a little bit more forgivable, but still. And I did it on purpose because I knew that if that got me side eye and if people weren't, receptive to me wearing that kind of attire they probably weren't going to be super receptive to people who weren't christians who were coming in the door and i wanted to find out what was the culture like in that church in terms of towards outsiders so i would actually use that as a little bit of a maybe it's an unfair test but i use it as a test to see and for the most part nobody really cared but that was kind of my prod so to speak to find out you know what were they going to do with me now that's different than showing up to work at the senate Clearly, but I think we use you use attire on purpose and it signifies something. And sometimes you use it to find something out about people, too, I think. So can you guys help me with one personal thing on this? So so I'm comfortable in a suit, right? Right. I have to wear a suit when I go on television and, and I wore a suit a lot when I was a, when I when I was younger. So I'm fine in that. And I'm perfectly comfortable in jeans and a T-shirt or, yes, even a hoodie. The thing that I don't know what to do is that business casual deal. You know, I don't want to wear some golf outfit, you know, or chinos and a and a, and a butt. I just I, I've yet to find maybe that athleisure wear is an answer. But you got any tips for me on that? Zara. No. Zara is your friend. <laughs> Zara. Did yeah. you say what is Zara? Yeah, what is Zara? I've never. Oh my god! Oh y'all, we're joking. for three over here, Amani. Zara, <laughs> see y'all have to y'all aren't fashionistas. Y'all gotta know. Oh, but Zara, bad news. Educated. 
Zara has all the best outfits and they got the casual, the athleisure, the dress up. They have everything. It's, oh my God, my heart just broke a little. Is it expensive though? <laughs> it's not expensive. It's like medium. It's like above H&M, but like it's not Nordstrom yet. It's like right in the middle. Yeah, it's the best place ever. Wow. Now y'all all got to go to Zara this weekend. Thank you. I don't, think any, I don't think any of my male counterparts here have one bit of advice to offer. No, <laughs> nothing. I got, I got nothing for you, man. Which again makes us all perfect candidates for the Senate. We should all run. Right. That's our brand. Do you, you think is this something the voters should decide? Like that was my thought. I was, oh. I was thinking this issue where no, 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 no. I don't mean like they should vote oh. on the dress code. I mean, if Fetterman gets elected in his uniform, as you call it, and he goes to the Senate, I mean, is he obliged to the other senators or is he obliged to his population? They elected him. They know who it was. It's not a surprise. He didn't get he didn't campaign in a suit and then show up in a hoodie. You know, why can't the voters decide that? They like or don't like a guy who doesn't wear a suit to the Senate. Why does the rest of the Senate have to make this decision? Yeah, I guess they kind of are. I mean, they they knew that he, he wore that getup. I mean, going back to what you were saying, Ellis, I mean, this is part of his brand. And I think he does it on purpose to make himself look more more relatable and not so much like a senator, but more like a, a man of the people. I'm, I'm one of you. I mean, that was that was very key in the campaign between him and Dr. Oz, especially with that whole crudités. Disaster. <laughs> John Fetterman used that to great effect. He's a guy in a hoodie and shorts who calls it a veggie plate, not crudités. So I think <laughs> I think it works for him. And I think it, it could possibly work for other candidates as well. Every single day we are adjusting to post-COVID in America, and I think this is a, another one. And you are all, all right. This is a, <laughs> it's a work in progress for all of us. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So I thought there was a really interesting story out of Chicago, and I'll tell you in advance, I have no idea. I mean, I have some thoughts, but I'm really not sure what I think of it. And that's why I want to talk about it with you guys. Um, apparently in Chicago, there are, you know, food deserts, right, which we've all heard the term. The idea is, you know, it's typically poor neighborhoods where there's nobody has been willing to come in and maintain a grocery store. And it's people who are transportation poor. They don't have cars. They have trouble getting to places at a distance. Transporting food is a cumbersome enterprise. If you don't have a car, you know, all of that stuff. And it's not just that Chicago has food deserts, but they have sort of like negative food zones where there had been businesses and now they're leaving. They're fleeing those areas, whether because of crime or because of the wave of shoplifting kind of stuff that we've got, or they just can't make a profit. There's a kind of a mixture of stories if you look at the uh, the evidence. But now the new mayor of Chicago is considering proposing, offering, studying. I'm not quite sure where we're at with this, but providing municipal grocery stores coming in with basically government run food distribution centers that. I'm assuming would operate at cost. I don't know the details that maybe aren't so forthcoming. And it seems to be the idea that, look, people need food. It's a basic life necessity. If nobody else is willing to step up and do this, 
Governments oversee water and electric and sewer and trash, at least sometimes. Maybe a government needs to run a grocery store. And I tell you, I'm very conflicted on this. I have a lot of thoughts, but I'm just kind of curious. Does this strike you as the completely stupidest idea ever? Or does it seem like a, I don't know, a mayor who's responsive to the needs of his uh, impoverished citizens? I definitely see the vision. I would like to see more about like what the details of the plan are going to be and how they go about doing this. Is there going to be like a certain criteria, like you have to make a certain amount of income to be able to shop at the stores or like what is going to be the way that they roll this out? But food deserts is a big thing. Like it's something that people struggle with a lot. And there was a story I was seeing on Twitter, Twitter X the other day. Um, and it was a clip of Kevin Hart. And he was just talking about how if you go into the hood or some of these um inner city neighborhoods there's a lot of liquor stores and check cashing places but there's not a lot of much else so this could be a way to you know create a, a, a avenue for relief for a lot of people living in these areas so that they have access to real food that's like fresh vegetables and food that can keep them healthy and not a lot of mcdonald's and check cashing places i, I, I see the vision. I mean listen it would be better if the market provided it Right. If uh, somebody was in there and running a good local business and, and providing those services. But I mean, people got to eat, don't they? I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't really have a conceptual problem with it. it, it I, I wish it wasn't necessary. But but Imani, you're right. I mean, this is a this is a real thing for people. And, and, and the government has to step up, I think, as the as the helper of last resort. Yeah, um, you guys might be surprised to find out that I hate this. Market, <laughs> I think it's market, market, right? Yeah, market, market, market. But 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 here's the thing: the issue is crime. Like I wrote an article about this a few weeks ago, and so I looked into this. And in the the areas where they want to do this, it's very high crime. In the month of June, over a week period, there were 27 smash and grab robberies. Crime is rampant. There's a if you put in Chicago and smash and grab in Google, you'll find a lot of different results. And here's my thing. If you're a small business owner, you're not going to set up shop in a place where you're going to get robbed. I mean, if the government needs to step up, they need to step up to take care of that. And they're not. And I'll put on my tinfoil hat. Ellis, you're going to love this. I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat. You know, if the government isn't doing much about violent crime or, or robbery, and it drives businesses out, doesn't that kind of give them the opportunity to say, hey, we're the government, we can open up stores, and you guys have to rely on us to get your food. Yes, I I know it's a tinfoil hat theory, but even if my theory is wrong, that is what's happening here. It seemed to me like, uh, you know, if the government gives, like, to take your tinfoil hat scenario for a second, uh, so if government is causing the problem that it wants to solve for whatever reason, because, you know, uh, mayor's brother-in-law twice removed owns a, a grocery store and wants to run the co-op or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing. Okay. So if you create a business environment where it's running, somebody else is probably going to come in and see, oh, this can work and they'll compete them out of business. And so I'm not so worried about that long-term. I just, I, I find that the idea of a government run grocery store first glance as a conservative, like you, Jeff, it drives me nuts. But the more I think about it, the more I'm thinking, well, They're not getting food right now. They have a hard time with the transportation issue, getting access to food, which compounds the problems of poverty. And look, we don't really object to government providing services that the private sector is not good at providing like roads or, you know, we might have uh, electric be owned by a private company, but it's heavily regulated by the government because it provides a public service. Trash services, sometimes government, sometimes it's private. I couldn't I couldn't find in me the real like this is why this is so wrong other than it's just never been done that way. And I'll tell you what I what I got to thinking about with this is what if 
the government grocery store, you know, Chicago Foods. Uh, what if Chicago Foods were the alternative to SNAP and EBT? You know, what if instead of giving you an EBT card to go out to a private place where they're making a profit and you're buying groceries from them? What if instead they just say, hey, come shop here. The food is going to be cheap. We're not going to stock the kinds of crud that we want people not to be eating in the first place so much. And, uh, you know, you have an account here and this is where you can get your food. It almost seems like a better solution than the government funding the SNAP and EBT kind of, you know, go out and spend it somewhere else, wherever you can find it idea. I, I don't know. It seemed like we're already delivering food to people indirectly through the market. What if they just delivered it directly like this? Hmm. Can, can I stand up, Jeff, uh, for bureaucrats for a second? <laughs> I, I, yes. mean, I mean, come on. You, there, there's no mayor in America who wants more crime. I mean, let's let's acknowledge that. I mean, the things that cause crime are complicated. They're, <laughs> you know, we the pendulum swings back and forth and some things work and some things don't work and it gets better and it gets worse. It, it isn't true, by the way, that today is some rampant worst ever crime situation. The crime has ticked up a little bit since COVID, but it's, it's dramatically less than it was in the 80s and the 90s and, and in the lifetimes of many living Americans. And we, it's again, I'm not defending any of it. I wish we had zero crime, sure. but I promise you who agrees with me on that are police officials and government officials in cities, towns and states across America. None of those people want more crime. I promise. The you. thing is, and you're right, crime has gone down. But the thing is, it's still bad enough to where these business owners left. These business owners packed up and moved because of the crime. I mean, there may have been other reasons too, but I mean, but crime was the main thing. I mean, Walmart, Target, all these big box stores have been closing stores in certain cities because of the crime and they can more more easily afford to deal with this theft. A small business owner can't. So if you have a grocery store in that area, yeah, you're going to pack up a move because you will go out of business. It's not like you're in ill. I mean, it's not like you're in a state where they, you know, are good at letting people defend themselves and defend their property. So to me, that I mean, having government run stores is just a band aid. It doesn't get to the root of the problem. The issue is that people can't conduct their business operations successfully because of this rampant crime. I mean, like I said, 27 smash and grab robberies just in a week period in, in June. That's insane. Well, just okay, but before I get off of this, there's a whole lot of reasons retail is in trouble. And some most smash and grab robbery may be maybe one of them, but retail is screwed. I mean, people don't go to stores anymore. I mean, they buy stuff online. They go to Amazon. I mean, I wouldn't open a store today. That's our really that's our rough business. under yeah, the but, but like Target isn't closing stores in affluent areas. They're closing stores in areas where these things are happening. So, I mean, again, if these gigantic corporations are in areas where they can't handle it and they have to close up stores, that tells you that that there's a problem. People are still going to the store in in in, in more middle class, suburban, uh, upper scale areas. But when it comes to areas where there's a lot of crime, it, it is an issue. And yes, I understand that there's other problems here, but it's 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 too much to where we we, we can't just ignore it and just say, okay, yeah, let the government take care of it. No, the government should be taking care of the crime because that's what their role is in the first place. I think it's so many layers to. This issue, I think crime is one of them. I think the reason why certain areas have grocery stores and other ones don't, because, yes, it's crime. But also a lot of these chain stores simply just don't open up in certain neighborhoods. Like, I feel like it's all a very calculated thing, like certain areas. They don't have a grocery store, but they'll have a dollar general. It's like the way that they market their stores to certain areas. It has 
some innuendos in there, some undertones in the way that they make some of these calculations for one. So I think there's so many layers to this problem, but could providing this grocery store alleviate some of that? Yes, but I see what y'all are saying. There's still, it doesn't really get to the root of the problem. And that's a that's a problem with corporations as a whole too, because can we just force Walmarts and Targets and Kroger and HEB, can we force them to open air? open stores in certain areas can that be mandated by the mayor can that be mandated excuse me mandated by the governor of these states like do we necessarily need the government to fill this space is it necessary that they provide an alternative or option yes but at the same time is there a way that we can incentivize other corporations or businesses to open in these areas where there are deserts like how do we go about correcting that issue because i think that's the main thing they're just simply not opening these stores in certain areas and they're fleeing. I mean, even where they existed, the, one of the stories I was looking at was talking about the various stores that were in operation in some of the food desert esque kind of places that they've just left because uh, either because of shoplifting issues or because of uh, non profitability, which can be tied to a variety of factors. But, you know, they either aren't there, aren't investing or they're actively fleeing those areas. And look, I'm, I'm so with you, Jeff, on all the problems, right? Like, for example, look at school lunch programs and, you know, under the Michelle Obama concept of providing all the healthy food, what you wound up with was garbage pails full of food that kids didn't want to eat, but they had to take because the lunch lady was responsible for giving you food that you didn't want. So I don't know how much optimism I have for a government run food store stocking effectively, pricing effectively serve. I you know I have lots of concerns, but my sort of bare bones boil the issue down to its essence is for me that if poor people living in areas that nobody really wants to live in, but that's all that that's what they've got and they don't have access to food, a basic necessity, um, the government run store is a terrible option, but it's better than no option. And so I weirdly as anti-government everything, I'm totally with you on all of that, Jeff. There's something about this that strikes me as it's worth a try. I mean, you know, if I had to choose between yeah, if I had to choose between them not having food and then having food with the government that I hate, fine. I, I want I want people to eat. I don't want I don't want people to die. But my fear with this is that it's not just that I disagree with this on a philosophical level. My fear is that they'll open up these stores and then you know they'll be okay. And then they'll say, okay, now the problem solved. People have food, but they don't actually take care of the underlying issues that actually drove those businesses out in the first place. And I know it's not just crime. I think that's one of the main issues. But Ellis and everybody else, you're right. I mean, there are other issues that lead to these these stores running out or there's a reason why they don't want to open stores in those areas. I think that we have a Band-Aid solution here that's not mm-hmm. going to take those underlying issues. Therefore, what's going to happen is that these problems with poverty in these areas are going yeah. to persist yeah. because the government is very good at making people feel good. Oh, we, we got you stores. Problem solved. Well, no, there's still issues going on that you're not addressing. Yeah, that's, and there's a lot of band-aid solutions floating around everywhere. I feel like even when we were talking about like, oh, just no guns anymore. Like everybody just tries to do these band-aid solutions everywhere. And it's like, get to the meat of the issue. Like be a detective. Don't y'all, ain't y'all supposed to investigate stuff? Isn't that what Congress does? Don't y'all like do inquiries and all of that? Like, Only on political so- opponents. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the alternative is, right? Is, is you, know, you take the kids to Burger King. You know, and so they 
They eat bad. They are yeah. unhealthy. We pay for it eventually in healthcare costs. Yep. And I don't know. Listen, if you guys can figure out how to make kids eat healthy food, please let me know. I, I, <laughs> no I, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> they got to market it better. If I knew that Brussels sprouts were delicious, if you add bacon in them when I was a child, I would have been eating Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody told me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely sure that, uh, you know, the Chicago foods is going to be throwing stuff out left and right because they think, well, look, if we provide people with zucchini and, you know, good quality carrots and uh, healthy chicken, you know, fake chicken or whatever, then they'll eat that and then they won't. And, you know, market forces do a lot. And one of the key things about a a market solution, it's going to be responsive to the customer. Uh, I don't have great optimism that um, anything the city of Chicago, to Jeff's point, runs since they can't run the basics properly. Uh, and this comes from a kid who grew up in the in the vicinity. Uh, I don't think they're going to run a food store properly either. But I can just keep coming back to the you know, it is a Band-Aid solution, no doubt. And it does take the pressure off of solving for the contributory causes. But again, you know, if people are hungry. I want people to eat. And what's the what's the next alternative other than do nothing is what hope the churches come in and deliver food or, you know, set up a weekly donation stations, which is also government delivery of food. It just seemed like some kind of nexus between the EBT, the food desert, maybe government in an at cost basis, uh, even if it's temporary, uh, could be a mechanism for making things better, though I hate to imagine what could go wrong beyond what we've even considered. 